Right. When I sent that pastoral update, I think it was a week and a half ago, I mentioned that I was going to be talking with you guys today about expanding our partnership with Jewish family services to help them with the influx of refugees that they have right now. I'm going to put that into the chat, Jewish Family Services, because I'll be referring to them as JFS, and that way you'll know what that is. And I thought I would talk about it today because I think Christmas is a fitting season to remember that after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, that his family had to pick up and flee to Egypt because of violent political situation that was unfolding there. Right, so in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, we see this, um, Joseph, Jesus's dad had a dream. And in that dream, the angel said, get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. And so he got up and he took the child and his mother during the night and he left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. Now, we're not sure exactly how long that Jesus and his family lived in Egypt, right? But by the next time that we see him in the Bible, he's 12 years old. So it could have been a year that they were there. It could have been several years that they had to find that safety abroad. But even if Jesus was, you know, maybe too young to remember his journey to Egypt and back, he would have grown up in a family that was keenly aware of the plight of refugees. And so this week, as we celebrate Christmas with our friends and our family, we will celebrate welcoming a savior who was born into a messy political climate that caused his young parents a lot of hardship in him in his early life. So if you're newer to Blue Ocean, you know, in the last year or so, it might be helpful to know that we've done some work with JFS for a few years now in various capacities. So they're one of about, I think it's 23 agencies, but it might be higher now, but they're one of just a handful of agencies in the US who are officially sanctioned by the State Department to resettle refugees here. And so in the past, we've donated money, we've had clothing drives, we've collected household goods. We often do that alongside St. Clair and Temple Beth Emmet, the two congregations with whom we share our building. And I know that there was a brief period of time when JFS had asked for some more hands-on volunteers and some of you went and you helped like clean apartments and move furniture and find those things. And so as you can imagine, refugee resettlement, it often comes in waves, right? Just depending on world events and what's going on. And so right now they're in a major surge of people coming from Afghanistan, most of whom assisted the US military and then were forced to flee when we pulled out, right? And then the Taliban came back to power. And so usually when individuals and families have to leave their homes like that, they end up winding up in like a refugee camp for you know some period of time, sometimes months, before they're then moved on to the US or to wherever it is that they're being taken in, whatever country is. But since the US pullout, since that happened so quickly, and since the Taliban took over Kabul and just a matter of hours. I think we were expecting it to take days to weeks, but it happened, you know, just like that. The people that actually needed to get out of Afghanistan had to be moved out right away. And so they didn't have a camp or any sort of middle space to help manage that flow. And you might remember some of the images maybe you saw of just that packed airport in Kabul as people were waiting for those final flights out and just the desperation that they had to try and, and flee the country. So those who were 
able to leave have now been here living in the US on army bases. And so our government was trying to get people off of the bases and at least like into some hotels by the end of February, that was the goal. But then they just more recently realized that many of the refugees that came over don't actually have adequate housing even on the army bases and that many of them are living in tents in places like Wisconsin, where there are currently 13,000 refugees who are trying to deal with winter there. So I thought I would share a link to an article that Laura Schramm made me aware of in the New York Times. This is just for anyone who wants to read a little bit more about it. And it describes like what's happening in the larger context with the refugees from Afghanistan. And the major crux of it is that housing is in short supply all across the country already. And so we have this situation where there are now tens of thousands of refugees um, who have inadequate housing on army bases and then very few available places um, to move them to try and get them adequate housing. So where does JFS come in? So when we left Afghanistan last August, JFS agreed to help resettle 500 Afghan families here in Washtenaw County between then and then this next September, right? So September, 2022. And then now JFS has been asked to settle an additional 300 families on top of that, that first group of 500 that they committed to with perhaps even more coming on top of that. And so this is more than they've ever done at any one time. And we've been told that they've already um, kind of tapped out a lot of the normal housing partnerships that they maintain here in the county. They often have relationships with different apartment complexes and people who own um, different rental houses who they, they kind of work with to take in these refugee families. Um, and so they've already tapped most of those out. And then they have all of the other details of getting a family resettled and that all of those things are just overwhelming their systems at the moment. And they're like really good at this process. They've been doing it for like 40 years. It's just the sheer numbers um, and the time sensitivity of it that's putting so much pressure on the system right now. So to help alleviate that pressure, JFS is reaching out to faith communities like ours so that they can try and tap into community resources and get help. And if you read that New York Times article, you see that this is actually happening all across the country with different refugee resettlement organizations. They're just trying to figure out how they can maximize the resources they have locally to help get this done and to help people be taken care of. So two Tuesdays ago, uh, Pastor Diane and I, we met with Amanda from JFS, and she told us that what they're doing is they're asking congregations locally here to adopt a refugee family for a year and to help with the logistics of resettlement of that family. Or alternately, we could also be paired up with another congregation and we could adopt a family together. And so um, I wanted to take time to talk about it like actually in a sermon because the ask is really big. Um, and it's something that the staff and the board are saying, yeah, I think, I think we should do that. I feel like we should be able to respond to this. Um, we wouldn't be without resources. We wouldn't be without help with that, but it is still a big ask. 
And so I wanted to share it with you um, on a Sunday morning just to sort of maximize our communication on, on taking this on. So Amanda from JFS, she said that the congregations who choose to help would need three things. Let me put these into the chat. The first one is willingness. The second one is money. And the third one is volunteer hours to do all kinds of different tasks, especially within the first two to three months. And so I thought I would just speak really frankly with you about these three things and what I think we can do and what I think that we probably can't do, at least not without some help. And so the first one is willingness. And I think the willingness is kind of a given in our church. You know, we've been helping JFS for years. The staff and the board have both kind of given their nods that like, oh, this is something we should lean into because taking care of refugees and um, as the Bible says, the foreigners in the land, as they as we call it, that that's really intrinsic to our faith. We all heard Rabbi Josh preach about caring for refugees when he spoke here last November, and so this is really a key part of our shared tradition together. I look a little at that in the first five books of the Hebrew Bible, the word ger or gerem appears almost 50 times. I'll put that into the chat here what it means here. And what that word means in Hebrew is stranger, temporary resident, or resident alien. Right? And so the fifth book, Deuteronomy, specifically sets out requirements for treating Garam, not just with courtesy, but with active support. Let's take a look at a couple of these here. This first verse is from Deuteronomy 14, 28 to 29. The people were commanded that at the end of every three years to bring all of the tithes of that year's produce and to store it in your towns so that the Levites, who have no allotment or inheritance of their own, and the foreigners, that's the garum, the fatherless and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied, and so that the Lord your God may bless you in all of the work of your hands. And then in Leviticus 19, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as you love yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And another Leviticus 24. You are to have the same law for the foreigner and the native born. I am the Lord your God. All right, so give them food, care for them, do not mistreat refugees or foreigners. Do not have separate systems of justice for them. Love them as yourself, is what Leviticus 19 says. And that's something that Jesus repeats in his own ministry, right? Because Jesus was Jewish, and this was the teaching of his tradition. You know, Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. And so then we have that story where a man is trying to kind of get at Jesus and he comes up and he says, okay, we'll find a fine neighbor. And Jesus responded with the story that tells us that everyone is our neighbor, right? It's the good Samaritan story, right? That even an outsider, somebody you even think of as your enemy, as Samaritans were sometimes thought of, that everyone is your neighbor, right? So our faith teaches us to lean into caring for refugees and foreigners. And so 
the willingness to help to me feels like just a natural reflex, and I expect it probably is for most of us here. The second thing that JFS is asking for is money, right? And so they've asked congregations to allocate between $7,000 and $20,000 for the family that they adopt. And that's mostly going to cover rent for the first year that they're here, but also to cover some clothing and miscellaneous expenses. So what happens is refugees get a one-time allotment of $1,200 per person from the State Department, and that's it, right? So if you're single, you don't have any family, you get $1,200 and good luck. But we all know it takes more time than that, usually, to find jobs and to be self-sufficient. And so the ask is that we would start by paying the full rent of an adopted family for the first three months or so, and then taper it off, taper that amount down as the family is able to become more self-sufficient. And JFS has a whole network of employers and different businesses that hire refugees who they work with. And so they will do the lion's share of the work into helping people actually find those jobs. And they noted that many of the refugees are professionals, right? They were people who are helping the US government. And so some of them might even find work like right away and not need quite as much help as other families. So it'll kind of depend on the context. But before we really understood sort of the extent of the need that they had, um, back in November, our church board had allocated $2,000 of existing funds that we have to go to JFS. And we hadn't written that check yet. We'd been holding on to that. And then since then, many of you have also donated online just through the church site, right? And I think we've gotten almost $3,000 already through that. So right now we have about $5,000 ready and waiting. And I did wanna just note that like, if you donated through our website and you were like, no, I just wanted you to send it on to JFS more generally, that's okay too. You can just let us know that. Um, but I thought given the new information about them hoping that we'll just adopt a specific family, we thought that unless you tell us otherwise that we would just, we would put it toward that. Does that make sense? Right? So that way it would go toward a specific family. And then the board approved, um, was it a week and a half ago at our board meeting in December, they approved um, enough money to get us to $8,000 like right away that could be available pretty immediately. Right, so we have the money and we can continue to raise funds as needed because we're probably going to need some more for, for clothes and a few other things. But I think we've got the willingness and we've got the money. So that leaves the, the third item and that's volunteer tasks. And this is the portion that I think that we're gonna struggle to meet on our own, right? So don't get me wrong, I know some of you guys volunteered in the past, like we actually had a really great group of people, and I know some of us will volunteer again, but the ask um, for the specific like adoptive family was for 30 volunteers who could volunteer an average of one to one and a half hours a week for the first two or three months after a family arrives. And so what Diane and I said was, you know, one, we're not that big of a church to be able to pull like those kinds of volunteer resources. Um, for that kind of sustained amount of time. And I know that we've got a lot of young families who just don't have the same kind of volunteer time that some other congregations might have. We also have a lot of at a distance congregants and we're a very COVID cautious church. And so what we've asked is that we could be paired with at least one other congregation 
maybe two, who could then take the lead on the volunteer organization and recruitment, right? And that perhaps we might have some people who would be willing to go through JFS's training, um, who could be willing and ready to like fill in some of those gaps. So what I, what I told them was what I could imagine is if another congregation was sort of coordinating that aspect of it, if they emailed us and said, hey, we need help cleaning an apartment on Saturday that we could maybe be helpful in plugging people into those like specific needs. Um, but they would need the people who are willing to even do that to like go through some training and they have to do background checks on volunteers because refugees are a, a vulnerable population. Right, so the volunteer needs that they have are many and varied. They need people to do things like pick the family up from the airport, drive them to the hotel. They'll want people who can make culturally appropriate food for the first couple of days, right, just to say welcome. They'll need people who can help parents register their kids for school and people to find and help move furniture and people who can buy seasonal clothing and people who can help them apply for social security cards and food stamps. So if you're good at like navigating some of those um, like federal systems, that would be that would be really helpful. And so if you could imagine yourself wanting to potentially help volunteer, the training should take place, um, I think the end of January via Zoom. And so if you wanna let me know by email, if that's something that you're like, yeah, that kind of resonates, I could see myself maybe doing that. That would be helpful if you could let me know, just so I have an idea maybe of the number of people who might be willing to like volunteer as we figure out with other congregations that we partner with. Um, so that we can be honest upfront about what we can offer without overpromising or and you know under delivering on what they might need. And to be really honest, I think JFS is still organizing. Like this has happened so quickly, and they're trying to figure out how to manage all of this in such a short period of time. So, if you've got questions, there like may or may not be immediate answers to those about timing and things like that. But I will try and just keep you informed as the staff is informed and gets more information. And my gut tells me it'll probably be mid-January before we really have some like solid dates and such about training. But I recognize that this is, you know, it's not a small thing for our church, especially in the middle of a pandemic to kind of take on this adopting of a refugee family. But I do think it's something that's worth rallying behind. And on a more personal level, I've been thinking about them. I, I lived abroad for four years, and I know that some of you have also lived abroad for different amounts of time. And I know that when I did it, I did it by choice, and I did it in a place that was friendly to me and that had really great food, which helps a lot, right? I was out in Western China in the mountains, but even living overseas by choice is really, really hard. Right? There's cultural differences and there are things that surprise you, like the energy that it takes to like think and live in a different language is really can be overwhelming. I remember calling another friend and being like, were you this exhausted when you lived abroad, when you studied abroad? And they're like, oh yeah, language learning makes your brain so tired. Figuring out like where to buy the foods that are familiar to you, like how to pay your bills on online sites that are not in your language, just how to get around. It's, 
it's just so vastly different in the Himalayan mountains than it is here. And so I was living on one side of those mountains up on the Tibetan plateau and Afghanistan is, you know, it's on the other, but I could imagine some similarities in terms of just some of the mountain culture. And so I can only imagine how hard it must be to leave your own country, not by choice, not on your terms, not in the time frame that you had expected, not able to return without money, just carrying whatever bags you have in your hands, perhaps with small kids who are scared. And then you land in a tent in Wisconsin for a few months, followed by a hotel room for a couple of more because there's no housing. And all the while doing that while you're grieving and you're just carrying incredible trauma. You know, and so I've just found my heart is just breaking for the people who are going through this and imagining just, yeah, there's just a lot of hardship with it that I think demands some of our, our empathy and our compassion. Now, I know I, I talked a little longer than normal and that this was a little bit more, um, uh, I don't want to say businessy because that's not the right word, but it's a little bit more just like information containing. So I thought I don't want to lead a meditation this morning, but I do want to invite you to just carry that verse, love your neighbor as yourself in your heart this week, right? As we're going into Christmas and we're going to see friends and see family or nestle in with our own families if there's COVID concerns, but just carry that verse, love your neighbor as yourself, as we remember the birth of Jesus and this messy, messy world that he entered in order to show us how to live. <laughs> 